So welcome. How are you today? It's getting to the end of the day, huh? Have you had enough energy to get through one more session? So I'll be doing some of this uh, uh, as an interactive, so I'm looking for your response too. So uh, I uh, really appreciate the chance to share with you about uh, what uh, God is having um, many church hospitals get involved in over the last 10, 15 years, looking at becoming uh, places for education, nursing, uh, many of the uh, supporting uh, specialties, as well as now uh, medicine and uh, even postgraduate training. My names are uh, Bruce Dahlman, as he said. I'll say the last name again since he had a hard time. See, in, uh, in Sweden, Dahlman would be very easy to say. Yeah. But uh, I know I would trip up on uh, many of your names as well. So um, I'm standing with uh, Matunda, who is uh, a Maasai Laibon, who I met in the course of ministry in the very south of Kenya, a place called Loita. And uh, he's uh, one of those sages of old. Doesn't he look like a wise man? Huh? He does, eh? Yeah, so that's why I wanted my picture taken with him, yeah? We're going to talk about family medicine uh, education, discipling holistic healers for ministry. So I thought I'd just kind of go through uh, um, this uh, kind of title piece by piece. We're talking about, uh, at this conference, uh, ministry and mission. So the very basic question is, uh, you know, as believers in Christ and as uh, people who know that there are still uh, many places that have not heard Jesus' name, what is our mission? What is our ministry? Yeah? What, do we, what do we say is our, our ministry as believers when we think about uh, the needs out there? It's, of course, broad in many defined ways. But broadly speaking, what is our mission, eh? Somebody? See? Make disciples, okay? Any other thoughts or additions to that? Make disciples? Anything else? See? To glorify God. Good, okay? Thank you. Anybody else? Spread the word of God, okay? Thank you. Any other ways to phrase what our mission is, what our ministry is as believers in Jesus? Some over here? Touch people's lives with God's love. Nobody disagrees? No? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, so these are the expressions of what our mission and ministry is, right? And we have very basic texts. What are some of the, uh, the uh, texts that we use uh, to... to, to put this all together. What do we use as our, our mission? What, is, what did Christ give us as our mission? What text do we use? Matthew 28. Any others? Any others that give us our mission? What's the corollary? In, okay, and I'll give you rest. Okay, Matthew 11. What's the other Great Commission verse besides Matthew 28, eh? Anybody know it? Training. Eh? Making disciples and training and... Okay. You no, know, there's uh, yeah. training there. Yeah. I'm thinking of the one in Mark, okay? Mark 16, all right? So here's those verses for you, yeah. just to remind. Mark 16:15. go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation or to all creatures, some versions say. Yeah? You know that one? 
Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples, as we were reminded, of all ethne. I put the word ethne there. That's the Greek word. That's to be sure that we remember that we're not making disciples in the country of Kenya or the country of Sierra Leone or the country of Libya. We are making disciples amongst what? All of the peoples, the ethne, the ethnic groups. We get the word ethnic in English from ethne. So we're making disciples of? Endrobo, Masai, Kikuyu, Rendili, Gabra. All of those peoples, all are supposed to be praising God when that day comes, yeah? So if there's a group that doesn't praise Him within Kenya, 42, 46 groups, whatever it is, that's where we go, yeah? That's our charge. And these are the verses that we know the best, okay? But I would submit that Christ also gave commissions not only to the eleven, you notice that the Great Commission was given to who? He was saying it in front of his eleven disciples. All right? So, if you're going to think about what's important and what Christ feels is important, maybe we should look at the commissions that he gave to the twelve disciples. Hmm? Maybe that's important. Here's the commission to the twelve disciples. We don't think of it as the Great Commission because we have them at the end of the Gospels. But let's look at some of the other commissions. Matthew 10, 6 to 8. To the 12, he said, Go to the lost sheep of Israel and proclaim as you go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And in the next verse it says, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. He said, Go. And what do you do when you go? All of these things, we would call them medical, yes? But notice that it also is, would we consider raise the dead? Yeah, you're going to go raise the dead tomorrow, yeah? Back to your clinic. Huh? Yeah, we don't think about that, do we? Oh, that's not us. But you know, there are places in this world where Christians are raising the dead. I've heard about the reports in the Philippines and other places where this is not... I've heard in, in a, a place in um, India, my cousin who's been ministering there uh, as an evangelist tells me of somebody he knows there that I'd like to visit someday. They won't uh, record a raising from the dead unless the person has an official death certificate signed. Okay? In other words, there are so many pretendings of, of raising from the dead that they've had to Make sure that you're dead. Somebody has to come and give you a death certificate, and if you can show your death certificate and still be there alive, okay, we raised you from the dead. Or Christ's power did, eh? Ah, that's happening in this world right now. Cleanse the lepers. Thankfully, there's good medicines that keep lepers from having to be as uh, stigmatized as before, but they're still there. Cast out demons. Our session... Uh, uh, this morning that I went to uh, from David Thompson on prayer was talking about, you know, those instances. Have you been involved? Have you seen places or times when demons have been cast out? Anybody here? I have. Yeah, you have. They are there. And we have to be aware of them. We are supposed to be involved in, by commission, casting out demons. It's not an option. It's a command. Only if you have this heretical belief that that's not for today can you say that's not for me. Okay? 
The church is involved in spiritual warfare at all times. So that's one other commission. Here's another one. Did you know about this one? When he sent 72 out, two by two, this is in Luke 10, he said to them, go, all of these are go, you can't sit still, you must go, go your way, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. And then he talks a lot about what that experience is going to be like. And in verse 9, he comes back to the charge. Heal the sick and then say to them, repent of your sins and be saved. That's what we would think would be the Great Commission, yes? That is a part of what we do, isn't it? We proclaim what Christ tells us is an important part of why we are separated from God. But he says to them, heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. The kingdom of God has come near to you. I think that's very important because what it's telling them is we want to go to God. God is up there somewhere. How do we get closer to him? What do we do to get closer to God? The kingdom of God is coming near to you as we do these acts of mercy, healing, all the gifts of the Spirit. They all have a place in showing that the kingdom of God is near to you. This is another one of the commissions that we've been given how about Christ himself? What was the commission that Christ gave himself as he went out in his three-year ministry with us? Jesus' commission is in Matthew 4.23. And Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. I think there's a couple of important th parts to this of what we do if we're looking to be a minister and in mission. One, when we talk about uh, healing and health care, it's not just every disease. The word would be for physical, connoting physical problems, yeah? That's what our biomedical model in our scientific education tells us, you know, cure the body, medicine, surgery, and so forth. But also, we're supposed to heal every affliction. What are some other afflictions you think that might be in your mind about that uh, the gospel is telling us that we should be involved in? What other afflictions are there besides diseases that we are supposed to be involved in helping? Huh? Trays. Stress. Yes, sorry. Okay. Others, what afflictions? Family conflicts. Anybody here, no conflicts in your family, right? Anybody with that? No conflicts in the family. Hey, we all have them. Hmm. What else? Broken hearts? Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. For many different things. You know, rejection. Um, you know, uh, issues to do with your your work or your school, you know, relationship disappointments, okay? What other afflictions would we be asked to be a part of healing? Any others? Injustice? Injustice, yes, because we see it at every hand, don't we? Yeah, you can't pick up a standard or a nation without seeing issues of injustice, can you? Yeah. Operation. Eh? Operation. Operation. 
Oppression. Okay, sure. Uh -huh. And spiritual oppression, sure. Uh -huh. uh, apart from the medical aspects of HIV and AIDS, yes. there is this other social aspect of stigma and discrimination. There you go. Stigma and discrimination of all kinds. You know, the disease of HIV has brought in incredible afflictions. In fact, most would perhaps tell you that the affliction of the stigma and the, 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 the isolation, you know, within a village or a family is probably worse than the disease itself at least in, uh, in, the, in the age that, thankfully, things are improving, yeah? From the good work that all of you are doing in those areas. Yeah, so it says here, we're supposed to be involved in the healing every disease and every affliction. I don't find it uh, a small thing that it says every disease and every affliction. And as, again, another example from uh, David Thompson this morning, you know, somebody came into him with a swollen knee that they could not figure out. They were about ready to amputate this knee, okay, because they, they couldn't figure out why it was so swollen and why it was so, um, so much of a problem for this young girl. And they prayed. They prayed. And as their prayer is answered by the intern, the, the very low uh, uh, trainee saying, do you think it could be Bernoulli ulcer? Well, no, it can't be Bernoulli ulcer. An ulcer it has to have an ulcer. It has to have this. It has to have that. And she doesn't have any of those things. And uh, when the option was cutting off her leg as the alternative, they gave the medicine. A month later, she was totally restored. How do we do this? That was by prayer. Nobody was figuring it out. These are smart people. Five, six, seven doctors looking around. One, they couldn't figure it out. By prayer, God gave them the answer. We are to... We are to uh, be involved in healing every disease and every affliction. That's one thing here. The second thing is that we tend to think in our Great Commission that our charge is to go make disciples. Yes, we are to go and we're to teach. We're to go and we're to preach. But the Great Commission of Jesus was to preach, to teach, to heal. Okay? And then, of course, we have the example, without it being stated this way, within the ministry of Jesus that he made disciples and he focused on the 12. That he didn't evangelize the whole countryside as his main purpose. He spent most of his time, the silent part of the Gospels that we never hear about, all those hours as they're walking on the road, all those hours as they're around the fire in the evening, Christ is making disciples, making those 12 disciples understand the depth of his love for them. So I, th I, I believe that Jesus' commission is a very holistic one. And I believe that the Great Commission to us is Matthew 28, it's Mark 16, but it's also Matthew 4, Luke 9, and other areas that help us understand the holistic nature of what we're supposed to do. So, I've answered the question without asking you. What are the common attributes of Christ's commissions and therefore the guide to our ministry? Do you get the point? Yeah? Is that how you see your ministry? Huh? I think that's the, 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 one of the themes of our conference, isn't it? Is that we want to try to understand our ministry as being something that uh, in the same way that Christ did. So moving on, for ministry, <clears throat> uh, we're talking about then discipling uh, holistic healers. What does it mean to be a holistic healer then? Well, We've been touching on some of these within the commissions already, haven't we? Okay? The Great Commission, different versions of it, these other commissions to the 12, the 72, Jesus, they all give us a, a sense of what 
uh, it means to be a holistic healer. So I'd like to just have you, if you would, just turn around and in groups of two or three, not more than three, please, so that you have a chance to share a little bit, just in your own ministry or where you work, what are some of the aspects of healing that you're involved in, okay? And how does it uh, come under the idea of it being holistic? Would you do that? Just turn to uh, your neighbors, one or two, and uh, let's just chat about that for a few minutes, okay? After a minute or two, uh, give another person a chance. Yeah. Okay, we could take longer, of course, but uh, let's just hear from uh, each of the little groups, maybe, just to mention uh, one or two of the things that you understand or mentioned in your discussion about holistic healing, what it means to be a holistic healer. Yeah? Somebody in this group want to mention what's something been done? Um, according to our group, we looked at it as... Uh, a way when you're intervening in one's life, as much as you are reaching out with the gospel of Jesus Christ, you also want to know how is their physical life and uh, how are they doing so that you just don't uh, intervene in their spiritual life, but you find out their home situation, their social situations, and find out their environment, how they are, and you are able to intervene and allow God to work through you. Very good. Something to add from the group here? Yeah. Okay. Uh, we've just talked about the things he has mentioned. And as we reflect on the ministry of Jesus Christ, yeah, he came that we may, we may have life. And we were just talking that uh, other forms of healing might come along when one is spiritually healed. And it starts when one gets a relationship with Christ, as Jesus came to save. Yeah, and from there, uh, other things in our lives that are not right will melt away as we continue working with Christ. Very good. Thanks. Somebody from this group, um, examples or other things to add? They voted you. It's okay. We're a small group. We, we are students, so we were assessing whether we see holistic healing in the hospitals where we're learning from. And uh, some doctors uh, do it holistically, but most of them do not. When you, when you see a doctor that's holistic, what are the things, what are the behaviors that you're seeing that would make you say, that doctor's, he's more holistic. What are the behaviors he's doing or she? Um, they are kind to the patients, kind to the patient. and uh, they just don't follow up uh, on the treatment. They also follow, follow up, up uh, yeah, after the patient has gone out of the hospital. Or if a patient doesn't have an appointment, they can give them their contacts directly so that the patient can go to the doctor. Allowing access. Yeah, you know, we say holistic, we can say body, mind, spirit, all these are theoretical things. To me, this is the important part of our discussion. What does it look like to be a holistic healer? You follow up on the laboratories that were ordered in the morning and aren't on the chart today, and if I don't have the answer for that, 
how can I help the patient make a better, how can I make a better decision about what the patient needs, yeah? Yeah, that's being a holistic healer, following up laboratory reports that aren't in our charts. You know, boring. That's pretty holistic. Yeah, that's, that's because it, what holistic is all about, caring, all right? It's putting the person above yourself, you know? Yeah, okay. Anybody want to add something here? I just follow on what he said that uh, what we need to do to be able to reach out to them and uh, help them to come out of what they think it's, it's bad for them or anything. One thing we need to do is to, when we witness to people, we need to follow up and see where they live, how they live in their homes. What is their need? Because we can't go and tell them, I see this is your need. No, we want to go there and just be servants to them and know what they need so that they can tell us what they need. Some of them might need toilets. Some of them might need clean environment. Some of them might need clean water. Then in that process, we are able to reach out to them and show them how they can have clean water by harvesting rainwater, and uh, instead of them going to the river to fetch that dirty water, then in that we are bringing the healing in their bodies. Yeah. Very good. I'll pose a question. Is a well driller a he holistic healer? A well driller? He gets grease on his hands? He's a healer? Yeah, he is. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So, yes, we can expand the definition of health very broadly, can't we? But in terms of the, the, the behaviors within the healing professions, i.e., in our medical health care areas, we want to think too about the behaviors as we're as our sister was, was mentioning, very specific things that that tell you, I like that doctor. I like working with that nurse. Why? Because they and then you fill in all those gaps, those things that you can see, either that you've experienced personally by having been a patient, or that maybe you are, as a, as a, as a uh, health uh, personnel yourself, you know that would be appreciated by the patient. Well, let's move along. Holistic healers, what does it mean? Well, what did we share? We shared with each other. Um, and how is it different, these things that we've talked about, from those that you might have experienced in the past? Or, you know, God forbid, things that maybe you have been done, that you, how you have acted as a healer or as one of the health personnel and not really cared about that person or, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, those kinds of things, yeah. Okay, so I'm going to go pretty quickly through this one about the discipling. So we're going through our title, Family Medicine Education, Discipling Holistic Healers for Ministry, okay? And we're back to discipling. Uh, Russ White gave a uh, talk yesterday that I attended, which I felt was very good, and it was better than what I had prepared. So I uh, asked his permission to borrow just a few things. We're just going to go through this one quickly. Jesus' model of discipleship, what does it look like? Well, he became flesh, he dwelt amongst us. Which is to say, to be a disciple is to incarnate, okay? To be a person who's willing to take on where and who and uh, the environment that you're in. Learning language, those of us that have come and visited Kenya, you know, we try to learn Kiswahili and it works pretty well, and then they bumped me into administration and I didn't 
get enough time to it. So I don't speak Swahili well. I'm not a very good incarnational model of fully taking on Kenya, okay? But he dwelt amongst us. I've done that. We beheld his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, okay? Discipleship is about reflecting that glory, okay, and being the little Christ, the shining example of what it is to be in God's in image. And then he became a servant to his disciples, all right? The discipling mode and being a disciple is about being a servant, and he gave examples of that. So discipleship has to be done in real time. Um, it, it means a long-term commitment. We're not talking about two-week in-and-out visits, okay? Discipleship is a process over time, and that's one of the, I think, things we have to be very careful about when we do our shorter-term you know, uh, interventions either from within our Kenyan churches or as groups come and go from Kenya all the time for one week, two weeks. How are we thinking about that in terms of making disciples? If our command is to make disciples, is coming and doing a medical camp for that short time and then going out and leaving the other 52 weeks of a year for something that doesn't exist, is that discipleship? I think we have to be careful. I think we have to examine those things, how we do things, to be sure that we're actually following how Christ is intending us to minister. We beheld his glory. We have to reflect his, his, God's glory. We must increase. What are you reflecting? And are you prepared to decrease so that he may increase? We all have to look at that every one of our days, don't we? We can easily get puffed up by either our accomplishments, what we do, who we are, who we think we are, who we were born to, what uh, tribe we're from, okay? Did you know that Americans have tribes? Did you know that? We do. Yeah. What, what's my tribe? Do you know? All the same to you, eh? Yeah. Yeah, so I'm Swedish, all right? I'm, I'm, uh, I'm the fifth generation in, our, in, in America from the great-great-grandfather that emigrated from Sweden, but I know I'm Swedish. And my grandpa told me I'm not only Swedish, just like you have... Uh, you know, the different groups of uh, Kalenjin, you know, you're a Tugen or you're a Nandi or whatever. I'm not just Swedish, I am a Dalmas, okay? I know my tribe. But that's pride, isn't it? All right? We have to decrease that so that he may increase. So this is the, the verse that we have the same mindset as Christ Jesus from Philippians, all right? That he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. That really is his charge to us. So he became a servant, and it's actually something that's very distinctive about uh, Christianity. There are no other religions that talk about you must be a servant of all. It doesn't come by human nature. It doesn't come by most human teachings, okay? Be good, be kind, be a servant, be a servant. Here's the pictures from the PACS, Pan-African Academy of Christian Sur Surgeons, as they begin their training program in Tenwick Hospital. The interns sit on a chair, and their professors, their consultants, wash their feet. When I first saw the picture of that, it choked me up. It choked me up. That's a very hard thing to do in most cultures, isn't it? And yet, it reflects what Christ wants us to be, a servant. I am here to serve you 
the one that doesn't know as much so that you can be reflecting God's glory even greater than I. That's what we are here for. So, we're discipling holistic healers for ministry. How are we doing that? I want to give you just a short blurb on how we're attempting to bring education in biblical perspective to two areas of medicine that are uh, now available here in Kenya, okay? One is the Pan-African Academy of Christian Surgeons, and the other is the Kabarak University Master of Medicine and Family Medicine. So I've asked David Thompson if he wouldn't just come for a few minutes and describe in general terms the training program for medical officers, if you have your MBCHB and uh, have recommendations and pass the exams and so forth, very rigorous training, um, you can be taking your training in general surgery, orthopedic surgery, and pediatric uh, fellowships in biblical perspective. You can do it in a place where servanthood is what we try to emulate. We can do it in a place where what we're teaching is not just the medicine, and the good care of patients, but how does it, what does it mean to be a holistic healer? What does it mean to be a servant? We want to try to help people catch that from us as well. So, David, if you would uh, just give us uh, just a five-minute capsule of the PAX program, would you? Okay. Um, PAX was actually started by a group of uh, Christian surgeons here in Kenya. Uh, actually, the surgeons were from all over Africa and some were from Kenya, and the idea was that we needed to uh, train and disciple African surgeons at uh, Christian hospitals in Africa, and uh, that uh, there, was, there still is a very huge shortage of surgeons in most countries in Africa. Uh, Kenya has probably more than most, but in many countries there's approximately one fully trained surgeon for two million people or one million people. So uh, the pilot program was in Gabon at the hospital where I was serving uh, back in 1996. We started, the pro started training in 1997, had our first graduate in 2002. He was from Madagascar. Since then, uh, the Bongolo Hospital has graduated 10 surgeons. Uh, other programs then uh, were started in uh, Cameroon, in Niger, in Ethiopia, and at Kajabi and uh, uh, Tenwick Hospital here in Kenya. And over the 16 years since uh, PAX has started, uh, there is a uniform curriculum that uh, has proven to be uh, very, uh, very well adapted to working in Africa, but also uh, trains uh, uh, residents in a five-year training program, really with the same uh, level and style of training as we receive in the United States. The other thing that is unique to PAX is um, the actual hands-on training. In PACS, there are four levels uh, for uh, a resident uh, for any particular operation. The first level is that uh, the, the surgeon, the professor of surgery, does the operation and the resident watches and assists. The second level, after the, this has happened for three or four operations and the resident uh, starts reading up on that operation, um, then the professor uh, gives what's called active help active assistance and the resident does the surgery. The, the surgeon hands the resident the scalpel, let's say for a hernia, maybe the fourth hernia that they've done together, and uh, the uh, professor 
uh, helps him through the case, uh, directs him, maybe uh, teaches him techniques, shows him the anatomy, is a very active assistant. The third level is what's called dumb, dumb assistance, where the professor of surgery stands there and holds the retractor while the resident does the operation and directs and asks the, um, uh, the attending to, to hold retractors or to assist him in this direction. There might be times during the operation where he gets stuck and the professor will show him and take him through it, or if there is a comp a dip, uh, an error or something, he'll take him through it and they'll correct that together. And the fourth stage is the professor stands totally, uh, he doesn't even, uh, if he scrubs in, he just stands there. Someone else, a junior resident, is the assistant. The, uh, the, the, uh, the resident uh, who's doing the operation does the operation from start to finish. Uh, the uh, professor, he can, uh, might make a few uh, suggestions, but it's really only at the request of the resident. So this is a different style of training, and by the end of uh, five years of training, Residents have uh, done anywhere between 800 to 1,000 operations that they have performed themselves under supervision, but different levels of supervision, and they have that capability. So that's quite unique. It's the American style of training. Uh, we believe it produces the best surgeons. There's also the academic component. So what we're talking about is American style residency in Africa, and we now have uh, uh, seven training programs in Africa. Three more will open next year in Egypt, uh, where I'm working, in uh, Malawi, and also in Tanzania. So uh, I would be happy to uh, answer any questions that you might have afterwards, and uh, Bruce can also answer questions. We have applications uh, form online and much more information online. Okay, thank you very much, David. So. Uh you get a, a sense of, of surgery and, and, the, and the kind of program that is available right here in Kenya, okay? And uh, now the program as of uh, three months ago has been accredited by the, the COSEXA, okay? Which is the College of Surgeons of East Central and Southern Africa. So it's accredited there and I think that has been accepted now by the Medical Practitioners Board, is that what I understand? Yes. Which is uh, a new development in recent uh, months. So you would be recognized as a fully qualified surgeon here in Kenya from that training, okay? Yeah, so that's one option. Second option is what I represent, family medicine. Rather than just starting right in on the characteristics of the program, um, I have to actually spend a little time. How many of you know what family medicine is? Family medicine, it's a specialty, produces a consultant. Have you heard of it? Anybody here? One, Mzungu, yeah? Two, all right, three, okay, four. I'm gonna be, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be very interested to hear what you know about family medicine, all right? Tell me what you know. Mm, uh, the much I know is that it, it's, it's like a physician who follows up uh, like a family, uh, like a, you, you follow up a patient, uh, Whatever the condition, you're like a, a, a general practitioner who, who looks at the holistic development of, yeah. He said the right word, didn't he? Huh? Holistic. Yeah. So he mentioned a couple of things. One, family. We take care of patients from all age groups. Two, he mentioned a second thing, uh, continuity, all right, following up, all right, that we, we often follow patients over time, all right. And the third thing, um, holistically. You know, body, mind, and spirit, community, okay, family, it all makes a, 
a contribution to the health and illness of people, doesn't it? Who else has some uh, background with a family physician? He's got most, got many of them. Yeah, anybody? Yeah. Uh, just so on what he said, it's it's a physician who follows one from birth to death, as he called yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. All right. So the whole you, from continuity over t over time and life. Yeah. Okay. So um, I can see my thing is skipped ahead here. So who is a family physician? The Kenya Ministry of Health has a definition from 2007 when they met and agreed that family physicians are a consultant that they wanted to uh, really emphasize and encourage uh, here in this country. They're a primary care team consultant is the fastest way to say what a family doctor is in Kenya. Primary care team consultant. What's the team? How many other primary care providers are there in Kenya? Clinical officer, nurses, registered nurses that are working out there, okay. Others that come in that area, the, the community health workers that are supporting the team, who is the, who is the one that's organizing and, and supporting that team clinically, all right? Who, who's the consultant that they can go to to ask the question about clinical care and what's the next step, yeah? Well, we want to see the family physician as that consultant, somebody who's going to advise, encourage, educate, be there for them, okay? Be the servant leader for the primary care team. So um, we want them to be uh, a lifelong learner. We want them to teach. We want them to be the team player. So these are some of the roles. In uh, African family medicine in Kenya, it's a four-year Master of Medicine specialty training. You're a consultant, M-Med trained person. I don't know why it's doing that, sorry. Um, you're competent to handle all care at the level three and four facilities. You're equipped to stay and and build the, the community of, of, um, of practitioners at the hospital. You have to know how to do emergency surgeries because many times as much as PACs will produce surgeons, they won't be produced fast enough for all of those small hospitals that don't have any other consultants. So they have to be able to do emergency surgery uh, to take care of those life-threatening illnesses or, or traumas. They have to coordinate care back to the health center so that in fact the others that are in the team are being uh, well served. World Health Organization says it makes sense that a majority of physicians be trained to practice as family doctors and it's even more important in the developing or the majority world countries where the resources are even less. MOH recognizes it and most appropriate person to respond to the challenges of the Kenyan healthcare delivery system. You read that statement? That's the MOH statement in its policy document of family medicine. We think this is a pretty important deal, okay? Yeah, so why Kabarak University? How many have heard of Kabarak University? Those in Kenya perhaps have, yeah? Their high school was number one last year. It's just, uh, I guess, a rah-rah about that, yeah? Uh, somebody else had to decrease so they could increase, yeah? Okay, <laughs> so Kabarak University also has a, um, a um, this is really frustrating. Um, yeah, so we're already skipped ahead there, aren't we? All right, so you probably read it as it went by while I'm speaking here. Okay, so family doctors are flexible. They're caring for general patients, and they 
do obviously consult to the other specialists when that's necessary. They're not trying to be everything to everybody all the time. And uh, we also work on systems of care. So why CABRAC? Well, the program has started at Moy University back in 2005, and there have been about 15 graduates that are Kenyan family doctors from, produced from the Moy University program. But in the last uh, couple of years, um, they've chosen to do their training at smaller district hospitals and the larger uh, church hospitals, Tenwick, Kajabi, and Chagoria, um, weren't as appealing to them. So we've worked together and created a curriculum that's now been approved uh, by their Senate and is at the Medical Practitioners uh, Dentist Board now for their approval, which we expect in the next couple of months. So that uh, planned start for the Christian Family Medicine Program through CABRAC is planned for the early part of 2014. What is it? It has two parts. The first part is uh, uh, 20 months. The major rotations in the major medical specialties of medicine, pediatrics, obsgyny, surgery, along with emergency uh, medicine care. And those will be done at the three main hospitals. You take an exam. When you pass the part one exam, you move on to part two. And we're going to intentionally be encouraging and, and uh, uh, developing smaller hospitals for this family physician to be able to take care of all types of uh, patients simultaneously, the way general family physicians take care of patients anywhere else they work. So we intend to work with Capsuar, AIC Latane, Friends Lagulu, maybe a hospital that you're working in could be a site where family medicine could be uh, part of training, yeah? <clears throat> Institute of Family Medicine is an organization that's been supporting this development in, in Kenya since the late 1990s and helped Moy get their program started, is now helping Cabarac get their program started. We've made consultations to Cameroon, to Ethiopia, to Rwanda to assist in their development in those countries as well. So these are the countries that are, have family medicine already started, Uganda being the first in East Africa in the late 90s. Um, Sudan, Northern Sudan has it, Lesotho, Congo, um, Ethiopia started this year, Somaliland started this year as well. Planning for Malawi, uh, one of the hospitals where surgery is being looked at, I think it's, are you looking at Dayong? Uh, uh, Maluto, yeah. yeah, the Adventist Hospital. One of the, one of the family medicine training would potentially be started there someday. And we're planning for Ethiopia at Myungsung Christian Hospital. There's a lot of places that are interested and many people that are coming to us to ask about it. So why surgery, PACs, and family medicine at Cabarac? Why do this training in a biblical perspective, in context, huh? What reasons would you give for that? Given what we've talked about, discipleship, holistic healing, and so forth, why would you want to take your training in a smaller church hospital in the bush rather than the nice, you know, uh, tertiary care Kenyatta National Hospital, the largest in Kenya? Huh? Why would you want to do it in a small place with, with these uh, perspectives? Huh? Anybody want to? Take the microphone on that. To train holistic healers. Thank you. Yeah. That's a giveaway, isn't it, huh? Yeah, let's not go any farther than that. How do you train holistically in places where you're in a secular environment and, you know, praying with a patient? Okay, it might be possible at Kenyatta. We're in Kenya, after all. But, you know, it's not all that much done, is it? Huh? No. And as, as David was talking about in his talk earlier today, 
that is an important part of what healing is all about. Lord, I am your servant here to, to, to witness your glory in how you're going to heal this patient. That's healing. It's invoking God's healing, which is why we're healing at all, isn't it? Huh? I burned my, my finger here about three, almost four weeks ago now. I was cleaning a boat, and my, my sister said, you have the best cleaner that I know of is this certain product. Use that, and it'll clean really well. It did. It cleaned up my boat really well. But it also put a big hole in my finger because it was 10% hydrochloric acid. And I didn't know it because I couldn't find it on the bottle. My eyes are getting too, too, too dim. It made a big hole right in there. Now it's about one-third the size of what it was four weeks ago. What doctor has taken care of that healing? Okay? None. There's been no scalpel to that finger. There's been no other doctor there to do anything about it. The healing is coming from the wound edges from all sides. I put honey on it to make sure the bacteria didn't get in there. Honey and God have healed my finger. Okay? No doctor has healed my finger. All right? Yeah, healing comes from the Lord. And Tenwick Hospital, I think, has it right. We treat Jesus heals. There's very few things in this world that the doctor's doing all the healing. Almost none. No operation would be successful if there wasn't a way for fibroblasts to grow across a wound and heal it back together again. Every wound would fall apart and you'd die of sepsis within a week if God didn't heal a wound. Is that true? Yes. I'm going to close with uh, a story. I started with Matunda. Matunda is a Libon who he told me in a conversation that he had met Lanana. Do you know Lanana? The great Maasai uh, Libon uh, that was a part of the uh, transition of the Maasai from Mount Kenya area down to where they are now, yeah? Signed those treaties back then. You know, the peak is uh, named for him on uh, Mount Kenya. This man says he met him, and I believe it. Matunda and I had some interesting and, and wonderful conversations about uh, cosmology. I asked him, so how did the world begin? He'd tell me all his stories from the Maasai perspective, yeah? How did I get to, to know Matunda? It's a very interesting story, and I'll say it in a sentence rather than a long dialogue. We had been ministering in Loita for probably two years, going every two or three months. We'd show the Jesus film. We'd, uh, you know, do clinics out of the back of our vehicles because there was no clinic for 30 miles around. It was at least a half, if not a day's walk to the next clinic, the next village, blah, blah. So we were up there, you know, ministering over time. Two and three years we'd be there. They knew we were coming. We'd, we'd go in advance to work. We could go the next time. Bring a dentist, full teeth, etc. So it, the word got around that, you know, a Mzungu doctor is, you know, coming and going. And Matunde had a problem medically, and he was getting kind of old, and he couldn't really walk to go anywhere. Um, and so he called me uh, to his home to ask if I could uh, take care of him. Well, I won't tell you what the medical condition is. kind of embarrassing, but I took a good history, and I took a good, uh, uh, 
uh, and I had to do a, a, a rectal exam to check his prostate to confirm that it was prostatitis that he was suffering from. Yes, it was. So here I am, an American doctor doing a rectal on an old Maasai Laibo. But we gave him the right medicine, and he was healed within a week after weeks and months of problems. Well, I could do no wrong after that. So we got to be good friends. Matunda would uh, we'd tell him of God's love. He didn't really want to respond. But his son, Olais, was now the heir apparent to his, uh, to his uh, work as a libone. Olais would hear the story over and over. We'd, send, we'd, we'd tell him about Jesus and about his need for, uh, for forgiveness, uh, to ask forgiveness for his sins. Hey, it's very difficult. You can't give up being a libone just like that. They're coming from all over Maasai, La, down to Tanzania, to come for their, their work, all right? Charms, curses, all of those things that libone are known for, yeah? One day, Olais was uh, visited by a, a friend, a drinking buddy that he had uh, named Sammy. Sammy says, Olais, you have to become a Christian. A Christian. Eli says, ah, yeah, yeah. They come now and again, but I, it's not for me. I'm a libo. Sammy says, no, no, no. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the ruler of the earth. You have to know about Jesus Christ. Elias went on and on for a couple of hours. Elias finally says, ah. Next time when the uh, missionaries come, when the group comes from Kajabe, yeah, I can talk about becoming a Christian then. So Sammy, he's a Kikuyu. He ran. He left that place in a hurry. And he went all the way to Kajabe. Within a day, he found, he said, who was it that, that uh, has been coming? And he gave our names. I was in the hospital at the time, but a partner was at their home. Sammy came knocking on the door. Olais wants to be saved. You must come. So we got in our cars, took a couple of uh, a day's travel to get down to where he was. We went down there in a couple of days. And we found, uh, uh, went to Elias's uh, village, Ola Megile. There was uh, a little exchange with uh, Sammy going to see if it was okay for us to come. And uh, as Sammy got closer and closer to the village, he became very ill. He was bringing us to, to, to talk with, uh, with Olais. But he became very ill, intact to the point where he was uh, in extremis. He was on the ground, writhing, okay? His friend comes over to visit uh, where we were, uh, taking tea at another place. We rush over and we find Sammy on the ground. He's, he's unable to breathe. He's just... I've been doing CPR almost if I, you know, if I came on. But we recognized what it was. All right? The pastors that were with us recognized that he had been cursed. And in fact, that's what it was. And so right then and there, we prayed for, uh, for, Elias, or for Sammy and uh, the curse that had been placed on him by the other Libone that didn't want Lib uh, Olais to become a Christian. They'd put a curse on Sammy that he wouldn't reach Kajabi, that he would die. And there he was, in extremis, right in front of us, ready to die. We dealt with it. With the power of Jesus' name, he was released from that curse, and, it was, uh, and he was set free, and came back. He thought he was going to die. And he would have. Well, Olais, as that was happening, walked in front of us, 
as we were taking pictures of it. I have a picture of, of, of that session on my computer here. Olais walks by. He says, Ame Kufa. Ame Kufa. He's as good as dead because every other time Olais had cursed somebody like that, they had died. But he didn't die. He didn't die because of the power of Jesus' name. Is that holistic healing? It's just as much holistic healing as giving you an antibiotic for some infection you have. It's just as much holistic healing as listening to you talk about the troubles you're having in your family and putting your arm around them and praying for them. Maybe going to visit. Maybe being the peacemaker. Maybe you're the one that goes in to make the peace so that healing can be, uh, be brought back to a family. All of those things are what it means to minister in Jesus' name. Because our societies and our medical fraternity have so narrowly defined what it is for us to be a healer, we aren't thinking that way. But yet as Christians, we need to think that way in order to live out what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Is it right? Yeah. How shall they then know? How shall the world's ethnic groups know that Jesus is the Christ, Lord of the universe? Well, I'm going to leave you with what I think is a good start for what is also a great commission. Go to the lost sheep of Israel. Go to the Jerusalems, to the Samarias, and to the ends of the earth. And as you go, tell them the kingdom of God is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out the demons. You will know that the kingdom of God is at hand. When we go and proclaim the words of Jesus, we need to also go and proclaim the deeds of Jesus. He did all of those things all the time during all of his ministry. It wasn't one and then the other. It wasn't this and I'll do that. It wasn't you do this, I'll do that. He was a holistic healer. I think when he says, when, when Paul says, I want to be just like Christ, I think he's asking us to be just like Christ. I don't think there's anything less that we should be. He raised the dead, Lazarus raised. It might be God's call on your life to raise the dead. It happens, it can happen. Thank you. Let's be holistic healers. And if family medicine or surgery is your interest as a medic, we'd be glad to talk to you to learn, help you uh, learn more about uh, the opportunities that God is uh, allowing for Kenya to have. Thank you, and I appreciate the time.